I don't think it could be understated how how impactful Zimmer is to a team, a team culture, a team locker room, and and, and also uh, developing players too. And I think a guy like that, you could have more confidence in uh, to take all that new personnel last year and mold them into something uh, a lot better within another year and having a little bit more continuity this year as well. Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm Matt Landis, and in today's episode, we celebrate Props and Hops' first birthday in style. That's right, if you're listening on the day of this episode's release on Tuesday, August 31st, the first episode of Props and Hops came out one year ago today. So before we get into today's conversation, as we mark one year in the books, I can't express enough gratitude to a few people, and that would start with you, the listener, for downloading, sharing, and any feedback you may have given me over the course of this past year. Also, a host of dream guests coming on the show and being so generous with their time and insight. And of course, I'd like to thank my partners at Dimers for their constant support, including last week's epic journey to Bet Bash. More on that in a moment. And last but certainly not least, the biggest debt of gratitude goes to the unofficial executive producer of this show, my brilliant and beautiful wife Allison, also known as Mrs. Props and Hops. And as we turn the page to year two, we'll get it going with a Bet Bash review as well as an NFL preview with friend of the pod and host of the Doggy Juice podcast, Mike Roselli. Mike's name might be familiar to you, and that's because he's the first three-time guest on this show, and he brings invaluable insight to the table, both as a better, as well as on the legal side of things through his role as the chief complaints and legal officer with betting operator PlayUp. In addition to recapping Bet Bash and previewing the NFL, we also discuss some diamonds in the rough worth following on gambling Twitter, as well as on the podcast platform of your choice, and of course Mike and I get into the hops as well. One quick housekeeping note before we cut to the conversation. For free picks driven by analytics and thousands of simulations, check out the Cutting Edge Quick Pick section over at Dimers.com. You can find it via the link in the show notes to see where you want to get down on the Dimers Bot's biggest edges across all the biggest sports. And now, enjoy my conversation with Mike Roselli. Mike Roselli, welcome back once again to Props and Hops. It's been a whirlwind of guests this offseason, but I appreciate you guiding us down the home stretch of the offseason, becoming the first three-timer on the show. I can't believe I'm the first to hit the three-peat on the Props and Hops pod. Thanks for having me on again, Matt. It's always a pleasure to come on this show. And honestly, like I'm shocked that you're inviting a little guy like me back, especially given the unbelievable like slew of guests you've had on the show the past few weeks and even months now at this point. So kudos to you, man. You have the that the stock and the arrow is pointing way up on props and hops. And I'm, I'm hopeful that it won't start pointing down after this interview, but, uh, but it's just <laughs> kudos to you after uh, all the hard work you've been doing. It's, it's definitely noticeable and it's great seeing something like this uh, just get talked about, get out there in the space. So kudos to you and thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, it's always fun to have some big names and dream guests come on the show. And at the same time, there are a lot of bright minds in the space that don't get a ton of play. And I love trying to bring out some different perspectives as as well. And you've done 
so much in terms of our first two interviews. There's a reason we're bringing you back on for a third time. So I feel confident that the arrow is going to be pointing upward even more so by the time we're done with this. And to kick things off on the right note, as we have in the past, what are you drinking today? So I was in Wisconsin last the weekend before this past one. So I guess uh, what was that the weekend of the 22nd, I want to say, or yeah, the 20th. Uh, picked up some spouted cows from New Galera mm. Brewing Company. And you can only buy that in Wisconsin, uh, despite. And I, I've, I've told them this. If you offer these in Illinois, where I live here in Chicago, uh, I'd be buying them quite often. So you're, you're leaving money on the table. But maybe that's part of what makes it so uh, so unique and, and I guess the stigma around Spotted Cow, it's so difficult to get, but that's what I'm drinking today. It's their farmhouse flagship beer. And if you've never had one yet, it's an absolute must if you're in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, I'm tempted to travel to Wisconsin solely for that beer. I have heard really great things. And to your point, I think they might be um, adding to the mystique a bit by just putting up that firm border around the state, but it works. And I know in the craft beer scene, there's a lot to be said for catering to your local customer base. So if New Glarus can, you know, pay its bills and then some by doing what they're doing, then they might as well keep rolling on that track. Yeah. Yeah. Despite my constant calls. But I agree. Yeah, there's yeah. Something, you you got to keep demand at a certain level. I, I get that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe I'll be able to arrange a trade with you or somebody in the Midwest at some point to get my hands on some. And uh, yeah, I, I can't one up your spotted cow. That's definitely going to take the cake <laughs> for this one. But this is a beer that's really fun. Uh, it's called imperial sunshine by blue point brewing they are in new york i'm trying to see where exactly they are in new york um okay it looks like there's a couple packaging spots that they have in new york and new hampshire but i know they're long island brewery uh, my good friend connor we had dinner with the night before bet bash and he was on the show in march to preview the baseball season he featured this beer on the show and we made a bet on a few mlb season win totals and we figured between our three picks we each made whoever fared better would be owed a four-pack or six-pack from the losing party. And our bet ended up hinging on Tampa Bay. I saw Connor when I was back east for Bet Bash, and he politely waved the white flag and had a bunch of these cans waiting for me. So I was able to enjoy one with him. I was able to bring some home. Uh, yeah, Blue Point Brewing, Imperial Sunshine. It's a blonde ale, but it clocks in at, I believe, 9.3%. So 96 a 9.6 blonde, and it drinks light like a typical blonde would, but they've added some orange and they say other natural flavors to it to help mask the ABV. It's it's dangerous. It's a really easy drinker. Got some nice citrusy flavor, but at 9.6, I got to say I'm glad it comes in a 12-ounce can. Whew, you get me around some of those around a boat on a hot summer day, and that's game over at that point, I think. That's yeah, yeah. Maybe the best for the end of the day. So Ooh. on that note, Mike. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, it, it might get dangerous if I work through too much of this can during the interview. So we'll see how that goes. But it's it's tasting great. And it's a it's a good way to kick this off. Well, I know we also wanted to kick it off by recapping Bet Bash. We were both fortunate to be there last week. And for some context for listeners, Bet Bash was a sports betting networking event hosted by pro better Spanky. The location was the rooftop at the Ashford, which is a bar slash event venue in Jersey City. And the attendees, I think, really sold the event. I mean, it was a who's who from all corners of the sports betting world. And in fact, I was able to connect with a lot of those people. It was so nice to see how generous people were with their time to do a Bet Bash bonus series on this podcast. Again, highlighting some of the brightest minds and biggest names in attendance. You can catch it on the show feed if you haven't heard those conversations already. But I think this is a fitting way to put a bow on the event. 
So Mike, from your perspective, what were some of your highlights and takeaways from being at that dash? Oh my gosh. Where do I even begin with that? I mean, it's, it was quite literally like I had, I had not died, but I guess like somewhere found heaven on earth, died and gone to heaven, whatever you want to say, because I've never been in a room with that many people that all spoke the same language that all in, in some certain way, we're all cut from the same cloth. I think that uh, in order to be, you know, just ingrained in this industry and, and uh, follow it day by day, you have to have a certain DNA to really be into this stuff. And, and most of the people at the, at least everybody I met at Bash, they met that, that mold, they fit that mold. They had that similar DNA, the similar way of talking. And obviously everybody was there for, for the same reason, really, we all wanted to connect. It was an event that was the first of its kind. We've never seen anything like that. I mean, Certainly, I can't think of another. I, I would go so far as to say, and I, I can't think of any other examples besides maybe the Sloan Conference in Boston. But the, there's never been a larger gathering of sharp professional sports bettors and pe industry people, but really on the betting side in, in American history and in world history, really, just because there are so many people there and the the energy level, the excitement. I think that you could probably point that to Spanky, you know, because it kind of fit his his energy level, his mold. He teed it up. He got everything organized. And he's just a such an energetic, unique character and and brought so much life and energy to this party. And obviously having uh, three hours of open bar doesn't doesn't hurt either. Yeah, which and it, they bought a fourth, yeah. It stretched into four. And then I know that we ended up closing down the bar downstairs. We ended up being there you know, till 2 a.m. bar close. And, and the party went after the bar closed too, even downstairs. I think a bunch of us were talking outside in the parking lot like past 3 a.m. And those conversations could have kept going, honestly. I think it was just our, our human... Uh, physical limitations, needing to go to sleep that that kind of ended those conversations. Because in reality, I think everyone would have stayed there as long as they could have. And it's like a party that you never want to end. It unfortunately did end. But at the same time, I think everyone came out of it so optimistic about the future events. I think really Spanky's onto something here with Bet Bash. There was just so much. And, and, and also like just the business meet, like the opportunity to connect and, and network. That can't be understated either. Just on our end with, because I'm with Play Up, obviously. And um and there was really no other sports books that were there. Obviously, the event was sponsored by FanDuel. There was a couple of FanDuel reps there. But besides that, play up. We were the only book that was present there. And I thought that was pretty interesting on my end. And, and being a better myself and now a, a chief compliance and legal officer at play up, it was a perfect marriage for me of the opportunity to tell guys about the sports book that we're building and that we're live with in Colorado, but also talk to betters like myself and learn what they're looking for, what they want the industry to change like, what they want to see uh, over the next few years, the what they expect to see the next few years, and and really just learning what people are looking for, learning more about the state of where things are at. It's it was just such a unique educational experience from that from that standpoint. It was also just super fun. There's just amazing people there. Yeah, I like your point about play up being one of the only sports books with a presence there. Obviously, you touch on FanDuel sponsoring it, but beyond that, I think you guys were able to cover a lot of good ground. And even for myself, again, also a better, but going, you know, representing dimers and props and hops, that was a real blast. And it was just so cool getting that kind of experience. I mean, right before the event started, even dinner beforehand, I was fortunate to meet up with Rob Pozzola and Johnny and Julian at Betstamp and get dinner at a Mexican restaurant right around the corner from the Ashford with those guys. And then walking into the venue, I know everybody's touched on it, but I definitely experienced it for myself. The opportunity to meet and start building relationships, not only with some luminaries in the space, but even 
some people that might be a little lesser known, but equally cool. And, and everybody was really approachable. So it was, I think, a crowd of about 250 people, but there were, you know, few, if any, duds. It was it was a really good vibe to your point. The energy was just great from the get go. And I think, you know, selfishly, from my vantage point, the chance to get some direct feedback from a lot of the Props and Hops audience, that was a real special opportunity. And I was taken back by how many people introduced themselves and had positive things to say. I, I really was blown away when multiple people told me they listened to the Bet Bash bonus series and other Props and Hops episodes while they were driving to Bet Bash from other states. Like that, that totally blew my mind. And it was very, you know, really exciting, really humbling. Yeah. And I know that it's important not to live and die by external validation, but it's so valuable to have that in-person connection with people who really listen and have feedback. Obviously, the past year and a half, like any in-person connection has been tough to come by. Um, so this was just a really special moment, I think. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. And that's a good point, too, about the, you know, it's like the first opportunity for a lot of these people that to meet each other in person. You know, some some people that you you know maybe interact with on Twitter, on your end, guys, you've brought on your podcast. Finally, a chance to meet, exchange beers, but also really exchange like just from the business standpoint, too. Like, just I can't tell you how many business cards I got from guys that that we'll be able to make bring on as a play up customer at some point soon, but also people that we actually may do business with and partner with. And so, and, and, and there's different buckets there too. There's people that were representatives in, on the media side. There was people obviously on the sports book side, like me, there was just pro betters there looking to, you know, to get down and talk, talk lines and talk uh, preseason bets. So it was really just everybody from all corners of the industry, including a lot of innovators, a lot of great ideas out there now too. Um, especially I would say in the media side ways to, uh, just to, to, I guess, integrate um, the broadcasts and games that we're watching into our our betting experience. Obviously, there's a lot of a lot of push there, but just a lot of cool ideas. And I think even like my personal highlight, to be honest with you, I've been really tracking uh, the Sport Trade app, even though they're a competitor on our. They're a really unique app that it's about. They're about to launch in Colorado, New Jersey, and and just comparing, you know, with the the Sports Trade CEO Alex just. Uh, just comparing our app to theirs, kind of realizing that their color scheme was actually a bit closer to the play up color scheme a bit, but just doing little things like that. And, and just everyone kind of being cut from that same cloth, the same common denominator. Everybody cares about this industry. Everybody cares about seeing it go in the right direction. And like events like that are going to be huge to in the future to, to help push forward, I think. Yeah. And building on that, I think the way you approached it, the way I tried to approach it, I'm sure Alex and others had a similar approach with what they were doing. You know, for us, we we bet on games and, you know, we bet on the athletes and coaches involved in those games. Bet Bash is kind of like our game day, as I think of it. I think it was great to make a game plan and depending on your goals, connect with people in advance and really show up ready to hustle and execute the plan. But at the same time, you know, be flexible. You never know who you're going to meet or what's going to happen when. I mean, you never know when Spanky is going to be available for an interview in the middle of the night. More on that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was cool to see just like a lot of the games we bet on. Like some stuff you plan out perfectly could still go wrong. Some things you had no way of planning or foreseeing could go great. And really, if you have fun and roll with it at the end of the day, I think it all ties in with that, you know, notion of a lot of the betting we do, just embracing uncertainty and, and really rolling with it. Yeah. And, and you also don't know what, what drink uh, Bill, the VIP at PlayUp, is going to buy you at the bar next. There's just a lot of, uh, what is that, dynamic uncertainty? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, there's there's just a lot of yeah, putting that stuff into play and, 
end. I agree. Even you even heard guys talking about the game. You know, there's a game on. I think the or was it not the Padres? The the Orioles game was on. I think they're still there in that long losing streak at that point. Yeah. Everyone's got action going on, just talking about the games in front of us. So there's everything from like the big picture stuff that maybe we'll see materialize in three four years, and the big just systemic industry change, up to as as minute and and small as guys just sweating a game together live. Yeah, I think, and I recall watching it. I was thrown off a bit because it was later in the evening by the time that game started. I'm not as used to, you know, being on the East Coast and game starting three hours later than what I'm accustomed to in Los Angeles. But uh, yeah, that game, Otani started the game and the Angels were a heavy favorite and got out to a pretty sizable lead, as I recall. Yet that was actually the game the Orioles snapped their losing streak. Uh, go figure. Yeah, as an Angels fan, I just figured that was maybe all too fitting the way they're trending these days. But it was cool. I mean, to your point, there were some huge ideas, some some big picture stuff that could play out over the course of years to come. And then at the same time, the immediacy of uh, uh, just a really interesting game with, you know, some crazy quirk in the baseball season with that long Orioles losing streak against a phenom like Otani, like that became kind of the marquee viewing event of the night in that moment. So there was so much good stuff going on there. And I think one thing I'd be remiss not to touch on for anybody, um, either who's listening, who was there, or who would like to go to events like this in the future, it's great to you know get the experience that we did. And then I think we were so fortunate to be at the very first Bet Dash. But also I think an important thing to build on it beyond the event itself is to remember to be on top of following up. I mean, there were a lot of good conversations. The opportunities could be endless, but it's important not to let those good relationships or those good conversations die on the vine. Yeah, 100%. It was the opportunities were there for everybody. And I, I the amount of guys that I met that like I, I knew their name or was finally able to have a conversation with them and put a face to their name, including guys you brought on your podcast, like, like Hitman, for example, uh, pregame guy, New mm-hmm. Jersey face, incredible guy to talk to. He was so much fun. And and just little little things like that, guys in the industry that you've heard of or you've maybe encountered them in some way, actually able to get that human connection. I think that was massive. And, and I'm looking forward to see what, you know, what events like this are going to lead to in the future. Because if I've experienced one thing in this industry um, and realizing how small it really is, the, ga- the gaming industry in general, um, it's it, when you open one door, you tend to open five more after you open that door. And there's just more to come. So if you just keep opening and there's no better opportunity to open those doors than that bash or an event like that, uh, you're going to be fully ingrained in things before you know it. And and I think the, going to an event like that, that's just the perfect way to get immersed in the industry, even if you're not working in it. Yeah, I love that point about opening one door and maybe five more open. It's almost like compound interest that can work in your favor with these relationships, you know, maybe better than it would with a 401k over years and decades. So yeah, obviously, Bet Dash was a great experience for us. But even beyond the event, there were some good times. I mean, you mentioned right after the event, but outside of that, let's say like 6 p.m. Wednesday to 3 a.m. Wednesday, uh, 3 a.m. Thursday morning, outside of that span, um, what other events beyond Bet Bash itself or what other experiences really stood out to you from the trip? Well, for me, definitely the night before because we were able to get dinner. Um, you know, a few of the play-up guys, a few of the Dimers guys, and uh, our mutual friend um, Jake Williams in the industry. Um, so it was really cool just to go out, connect with guys in person, um, out to dinner in in Little Italy on, on Tuesday night last week. That was really fun. And then, of course, getting out to to McSorley's Bar with you, just like and and Kevin, our our, uh, our chief marketing officer at PlayUps, uh, he's a big beer fan himself, and he's he's got Irish blood in him. And just to take him to to you know the New York City's oldest uh, Irish pub. And looking at some of that uh, memorabilia in there and some of the artifacts they have in that bar, that was a highlight for me. Um, less so on the 
I guess the the career side of things, but we're also going through in the New Jersey process ourselves uh, at Play Up, the New Jersey launch. We're very close to launching our sports book there. As I said earlier, we're live in Colorado right now and have been since March. But New Jersey's our next step. So, like a lot of my focus out there, unfortunately, was on the not so fun stuff um, on the our, our go live or on the regulatory side of things uh, with the with the with the DG in New Jersey. Yeah, I want to hear more about that in a moment, but I have to say, very well done. I mean, you mentioned that highlight from the night before. That was pretty much all you in terms of the planning. I mean, finding, I think the place was Peasant in Little Italy in New York City. Awesome. That was a fantastic spot. And to get to meet you, yeah, you mentioned Kevin, also Joe on the playup team, meeting Jake face to face. I know Dimer's partner, John Murphy, was a really cool guy as well. And he came straight from the airport basically he really hustled to be there that was really appreciated awesome. and uh you accommodating my good friend and another previous props and hop guest connor uh that was just such a cool experience so well done by you great food great setting great people and especially that proper nightcap at mcsorley's i mean what an institution that was yes. yeah that was, was such a blast good. so I, I can't wait to see what we can do uh all over again come time for bet dash two uh, of course bank announced that's going to be in vegas at circa during Final Four weekend in early April 2022. Is it safe to assume that you're going to hopefully be finding your way out there? There's not a bigger guarantee than, uh, than me being out there. Actually, as an aside, I was targeting, a, you, you know this, man. I've had to postpone my wedding a couple times uh, due to the pandemic. And my original um, bachelor party was supposed to be at the Westgate Superbook on Final Four weekend last year in 2020, to the point where I actually got, you know, I was on the phone with John Murray, the sportsbook director there, um, got a little in there via my friend uh, Sam Panianovich, basically got John Murray to say, hey, we, we got your VIP spots for you for your bachelor party. And then, of course, we had to, a couple of days after I got that word from him, we had to cancel the party entirely and sports were done as we knew it. So I've been actually eyeballing Final Four weekend next year as the bachelor party uh, weekend. And now it's just going to, so if I'm not there for the bachelor party, I'm definitely going to be there for Bet Bash. In reality, chances are probably I, probably, I put it like minus 250 that both events are that weekend. So it's going to be wild. Nice. You might have a, a few <laughs> dozen uh, accidental <laughs> attendees at the bachelor party as well with so. Bet Bash going on. Yeah, we can yeah. move the events in together because it's all going to culminate. Let's be real. Everybody's going to be at Circus Sportsbook uh, for the Final Four that Saturday, no matter how that looks. So Yeah. yeah. All right. Love having that to look forward to. Well, I, I do want to make sure to close the loop on everything with play up as it pertains to Bet Bash as well. So one of my bigger memories from Bet Bash was seeing, um, knowing that you touch on a lot of the betters, you know, they're there looking for accounts to build out that network and probably the best name tag I saw. There was a guy walking around with one that said, sorry, no outs. And I thought that was a, a really, you know, nice twist on the whole name tag deal. Uh, and that turned out to be, yeah, that turned out to be John Lerner. He was a friend of David Malinsky's and he introduced himself to me and, and we had a great conversation. It was so special to connect with him and reminisce about Dave. But I know that you also spoke with, you mentioned the hitman, Spanky, a lot of good pro betters were there that want a place to get down. It was hilarious when I think at one point Spanky covered up a play up business card. He covered up the L. He's like, hey, look, it's pay up, not play up. It's pay up. <laughs> Um, that was just that was just a riot near the end of the night so uh it seemed like a good sign that he was pretty excited about what you guys were doing but yeah how do you think uh your plan with play up ended up playing out at bet bash it was great because the messaging we wanted to get out there really and this is important to the point where we had a couple play up guys including myself fly out specifically to this event to get this messaging across course on top of other things we're dealing with in new jersey but but um we want to be that book out there that's the transparent book and we're not alone obviously in this desire circus sports being the obvious one that comes to mind but um our model we we know what it's like to be betters and i feel like you know a lot of people at that event 
kind of knew that after meeting me because I was a better first. Um, Joe, our SVP of product, he was a better first. We know what it's like to be difficult to get down. I know what it's like here in Illinois not to be able to get down at Bet Rivers or limited at, at the other books. Uh, we want to step in, play up, embrace the same model that's that's uh, similar to Circa and uh, take in more liquidity, more bets, uh, have a smaller hold, and and allow our bookmaking and, and talented bookmaking at that to to manage our book properly. That's a difficult thing to get set up, obviously, especially with a lack of liquidity early on. So on our end, we're it's a work in progress. We're trying to get everything established and set up. And obviously, there's other factors that we uh, that we have to contend with there. Um, fighting the good fight, I guess you could say, but we're really trying to be that book. That's, that's an option for betters. That's, that's a, a slicker app and then Circa, no offense to Circa, but a better looking app. Um, but an app that's transparent in the sense that you know how much you can get down at any given time, which is always going to be reasonable. And we're hoping that our, our limits are, are obviously are, are going to grow over time as well as that li- liquidity grows, but having transparent limits. So you're on the app, you know how much you can get down at any time and knowing uh, with time-based limits on some of the bigger markets like college football, NFL, we're going to be very transparent with when those um, limits are going to raise throughout the week. And also like we, we want to guarantee that everyone's gonna be able to get down with us, obviously um, within reason, we're not going to let someone get down to, you know, two dimes on a college basketball game at post the day before, or like a college football on the Monday before the game. Uh, but we'll we'll be reasonable with it, and we want to work with people too. I think that's the main thing. We want to be transparent. We want to be upfront, and we want people to let us know what they want us to improve on. Because in reality, this industry is changing, and, and this is state by state. Things are changing. The regulators are changing the rules of the game we're playing. And people are getting smarter over time, but there's changes. Everyone's growing together through this. People are getting more educated, including the betters themselves. So we want to be there with the better through that process. We don't want to we we don't want to have that adversarial relationship. That unfortunately, you know, guys like Spanky they they're quick to point out that all the other books have, have brought into play here in the U.S. since uh, PASPA was overturned really over three years ago. So we're trying to fill that gap, fill that void, and be you know the, the betters first and. And we firmly believe we can grow with the betters and be transparent. And people are going to know exactly what they're going to get with play up. We're not going to hide or sugarcoat anything. And I also understand there's people we talked to at the event that said, I'll believe it when I see it, because I, I'm sure they hear separate or, or, or similar things from, from other books uh, in terms of messaging. So uh, can't have the chicken before the egg. So we have to, to get to where we want to be first, but we also want to make it clear it's a work in progress always. And anybody that really wants to get involved now can go to Colorado, check out our pricing. And um, it's always our aim to be the best, or if not most markets right there in terms of our pricing. So if, if you notice something that's that's not priced uh, as good as some of the competitors, let us know. Little things like yeah. that. I love the angle on transparency there and having an, a non-adversarial relationship, I guess, is a, a decent enough way to put it. It reminds me of connecting with Spanky early last week before Bet Bash, and I felt like I'd be remiss not to ask him about having FanDuel sponsor the event, knowing that well, they're far from the only offender. They've been, you know, called out by a lot of people for you know limits that might as well be bans from their book. And Spanky mentioned that you know he was just really upfront when FanDuel came online in Jersey, meeting up with uh, John Sheeran and, and others to you know, build that relationship to the point that, yeah, he can't always get down everything he wants to there. But in his words, he, he mentioned just going in through the front door and and being, you know, even on his end, probably more transparent about things. And when there's a relationship there like that, it can be mutually beneficial for both parties. And yeah, like sometimes the book's going to have to give a little and, and maybe take bets that it doesn't always love. Or if you really want to, um, I guess, 
walk the walk, then, then maybe take higher limits than you'd always be comfortable with. And at the same time for betters, it's like, okay, you can get down more than other spots. It doesn't mean you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, but having those mutually beneficial relationships, I think is just such a, you know, a powerful promise for the future of, of what this industry can look like and that dynamic between the bookmakers and the betters. And I know that PlayUp has a lot of that going on, not just, you know, in Jersey, I know you guys are trying to get up and running there as soon as possible, but also with football season right around the corner. I mean, college football is kind of underway already. We had week zero uh, this past Saturday. What's the state of play up beyond New Jersey as football season really gets rolling here? Yeah, so it, it's exciting times and our, our timelines are constantly shifting too, just because our team is, is, is pretty small for um, the amount of market access that we're about to have at this point. But so yeah, we're, we're live in Colorado right now. We have been since March. New Jersey is going to be um, very soon, matter of, of potentially just a couple weeks here, um, if not even quick, more quickly than that. Um, but Indiana and Iowa will be next for us in our sports book. We're targeting um, December slash January launch at this point in time, just given our resources and and you know how difficult it is to go through a state licensing process. Um, so it's th- those are next for us. You'll see us Indiana and Iowa, but also for on the iGaming side, um, iCasino or online casino you want to say it um, we will be going through the process in new jersey for that as well we have a market access deal through caesars in new jersey um, so we'll be looking to launch uh, iGaming in new jersey in december january as well so those are the next three big ones um, we do have some other market access deals that are in the works that of course i'm, I'm contractually obligated not to discuss on this podcast quite yet um, that are exciting and we do have a north dakota horse racing license we're actively looking at uh, paramutual and, and fixed odds horse racing opportunities. And then we also have a play up. Um, it's, it's called the slots plus app um, that you can actually download right now. It's available in over half the States, including where you're at Matt um, out in California. Mm-hmm. It's a bit unique. It's not sports betting, but it's essentially, it's like a unique um, slots lottery style product. That's based on uh, results from real life events, uh, which is pretty creative there. And it's just a cool looking app. It's cool to play around. Uh, so we have that being offered as well. So it's it's a lot happening on multiple fronts with PlayUp, uh, despite our, our relatively small team, which we are building. Uh, but we hope to be top five, top seven in terms of market access uh, very soon within the next few months after we announce some of these deals. So it's exciting times, but at the same time, it's every state's like its its own unique entity entirely, and it's its own challenge, uh, uh, each separate state where we're trying to go live. Yeah, totally get that there's a lot going on there, but I appreciate you sharing what you could. And, you know, at the same time, I think this is a, a fun part of the conversation to pivot to Mike, the better. We, we've gotten a good glimpse into your role with play up on the other side of the counter. But with the NFL season or, you know, really just about to get going here. Are there any angles you're eyeing as the season approaches? I, I know like any picks are always great, but you know, the, the focus with the show is much more on the process and, and what we can hopefully teach some of the listeners about how to think about all this. Yeah. And, and that's with the caveat being that I haven't done my numbers and my modeling and NFL and college football, like I usually would at this point, there's still certain things that I feel like are at a macro level that it's important for betters to be prepared with and be equipped with at the start of a season. Um, because obviously like a lot of w- when you're rating a team, First of all, you have you, you have your priors if you're modeling your whatever your team ended up, however you had them right at the end of last year. I think it's important to understand, like obviously, and this is more, I guess, college than NFL, but the player personnel and the turnover. We're going to have a record amount of starters um, in college football uh, for college football teams returning this year uh, just due to the pandemic. Guys wanting to stick around. But as it relates to the NFL, 
making changes to teams' power ratings early in the season. I feel like identifying before season starts which teams you're maybe more willing to give more weight to their early results versus others, going into that beforehand. And I know that that unabated, uh, not to plug a, a Captain Jack's product, but it's it's worth mentioning because I really am a big fan of of that. I've, I've played around with their site on uh, beta testing and everything. And they have a cool tool that actually allows you to even to do this and kind of quantify your own opinion on this matter. But um, basically how willing, how aggressive or conservative you want to be with the team's power rating early on in the year, I think can go a long way in identifying that heading in. So obvious teams like, you know, the Jaguars, the, the Jets with new quarterbacks, um, even the 49ers, I would put up there just given um, their quarterback situation now. And I feel like there's a wider range of potential outcomes with some of those teams based off a couple of their changes, namely the quarterback position. You have to be maybe more willing to, and, and head coaching positions too, obviously, uh, with those teams. So be more willing to adjust those teams early on. And then a team like, you know, the Buccaneers that's returning everybody, a team with, uh, you know, smaller range of, of uh, variants early on where you're going to adjust their power rating. I think identifying that early on beforehand. So then you're not totally duped by a, you know, like a, a short-term result. So, you know, if you're, if you're a team like the, I guess the Bucks is a good example. If they end up going out there and losing by three touchdowns in their first game, maybe not overreacting too much on that first game, but another team, if they go out and, and you know, cover an alternate spread by three, by three touchdowns or something, maybe being more willing to, uh, to increase their power rating accordingly early on in the year. I think that's important just to kind of at least eliminate the the possibility for a narrative or some of the noise that's going to for sure permeate the, the media verse to use the David Malinsky term uh, after week one, week two, the sky's going to be falling for a certain amount of teams after week one, 16 of the teams, the sky's going to be falling for. And after week two, there's going to be a handful as well. But in reality, uh, people are going to overreact early on. And some of the best opportunities you're going to find um, in the markets early in the season is capturing those overreactions when they're warranted and capturing them when they're not warranted. Yeah. I love that you kicked it off with a macro level overview like that, because I think the angle that I'm most curious to monitor this season will be the fate of the shortest touchdown under one and a half yards proposition. Uh, so I'll, I'll get a little bit more micro level with this analysis for a bit, but uh, that was, you know, that was nice. That was pretty much a meal ticket last year. Another David Malinsky term. My beer. Think, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a good way to add to the beer fund. And it was a nice trickle down effect of the record scoring that we saw. I think the, you know, sides and totals will always become efficient before anything else in a market like the NFL. But going farther down the prop menu, that was one that I identified early and it held up over the course of the season quite well. And I'm really going to be keeping an eye out for either some, you know, regression or see if it might even make some progress. And on one side, reasons it could regress would be things like the crowds being back for the most part, hindering road offenses or offensive holding not really being called at all early last year. I don't think it'll be ignored as much by the refs this season. And on the other side of the coin, I think reasons we could see some progress with the amount of one yard touchdowns coming through could be the analytics movement we're looking at in the game right now. I mean, we're not seeing that many 19-yard field goals anymore. If teams have fourth and goal at the one, I think most coaches are smart enough to go for it. I mean, when I was talking to Fezzik, he brought up the point that if you have fourth and goal at the one and you're debating a field goal, you'd almost be just as well off taking a knee. So yeah, I, I think yes, and I yeah. agree with it too. You'd be better pinning them deep anyway. Yeah, so certainly I know that teams want to get points, but I, I think the value of a touchdown versus a field goal if you're at the one, like we know fourth and goal from the one should be a pretty much automatic go for it these days. Also, things like, you know, 
punting on two from your opponent's 40, uh, on fourth and two from your opponent's 40. We saw Mike Rabel do that in the playoffs, and I know he's taken a lot of heat for it. I hope he's learned his lesson because a lot of times coaches that, you know, are increasingly going for it when they wouldn't have when they would have punted in the past, you know, it's, it's often the correct move to go for it. And coaches tend to be too conservative. And as they start to make those more optimal moves, extending drives, even before you get to the one yard line, just, well, if you punt on fourth and one from midfield, you're not going to get to the one on that drive. But if you pick up the first down and you extend it, then you've got that chance. So how much do the analytics play into things and how much smarter do coaches continue to get as the game evolves? And really, of course, it all depends on price. I noticed that some books were simply off market with their numbers last year. And it's going to be interesting to see if they've learned their lesson or if they'll still provide that opportunity. I hope they're not listening to this podcast because there's definitely a correlation there between this podcast getting more and more you know, ears and listening to it and, and, and the market just correcting itself over time. Because as we know, that's the problem with some of the stuff you identify an edge like this. And it only lasts for so long just because the market's efficient and eventually catches on. So I feel like... Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully eating while the eating's good on this uh, and while we can, because this has been a, a brilliant uh, moneymaker, I think, and a brilliant angle to play, especially last year. And I, I think you're right. I, I suspect that maybe, you know, as the, and this is just my hypothesis, I think like as team you know, crowds fill the games up more, it's going to definitely be a toll on those first and one situations for road teams. And, and, uh, but could be, could be a good thing for the reasons you stated too, with uh, analytics becoming more on the forefront and, uh, certain certain coaches embracing the right decision now, finally. Yeah, I think it would be unrealistic to expect it to maintain at the level we saw last year, but I'm just hoping it, it you know, even if it comes down a bit, the edge remains big enough to get in play yeah. fairly often over the course of the season. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I know there was one team that you've kind of identified at this point as maybe the, uh, the doggy juice NFL team of the year. Before we kick things off, if you care to speak to that, then uh, let's hear about them. Yeah, so I'm, a, I'm on a decent streak on these, I got to say. Um, and by decent streak, I mean like two years. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm a so the, big sample size. Yeah, good sample size on this stuff. But the the uh, inside is the inside is generally really strong. So I'm curious to hear it for this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the, my I call it the doggy juice team of the year relative to preseason expectations. So relative to what the market expectations are heading into the season. So last year was uh, the Browns were, I guess, the big one. Um, this year it's been a little bit harder to find that team, but I really do think it is the Miami Vikings, Miami Vikings, I'm sorry, the Minnesota Vikings, not the Miami Dolphins. Um, the, the Vikings for a few reasons, I guess, you know, for starters, um, last year they had just all, just so much, so many new uh, members of their team personnel was coming. In. I think they had like record turn, turnover, record amount of draft picks, if I'm not mistaken, too, or something close to that. Um, so, you know, and this is, I'm always torn on Zimmer because I view him as, I mean, first of all, I think he is the best ATS coach in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken right now. Um, the guy that's not named Bill, Bill Belichick, but at least I think uh, guys that are current coaches right now, he still might even be the best ATS coach. That's for a reason sometimes. And and he is not maybe like the, the analytics darling that we would like to see. He's no Shanahan from that regard, a guy who I, I love betting on and trusting late in the game to make a right decision. But I don't think it could be understated how how impactful Zimmer is to a team, a team culture, a team locker room, and, and, and also uh, developing players too. And I think a guy like that, you could have more confidence in uh, to take all that new personnel last year and mold them into something uh, a lot better within another year and ha having a little bit more continuity this year as well. Um, I think there's something to be said for that defense too. I, th I think that they have all the capabilities to take a big leap this year and be a top five unit um, on offense. That's going to be the big question mark, obviously with, um, 
obviously with Kirk Cousins and not to get political, but not being vaccinated, that kind of, you know, raises some issues. But I think that could be um, why maybe there's some, I don't want to say hate in the marketplace, but why there's a bit of a, uh, a lack of love in the marketplace for the Vikings. And especially after Rogers, you know, announced that he's coming back with the, the Packers. Cause obviously, and you touched on this in your podcast, um, a couple months ago when it became, you know, the rumors were getting out there that Rodgers was leaving, the Vikings became the favorite in the division for a short period of time. And now the market's corrected itself again. Now that Rodgers is back, Packers are the favorite. And I think that opens up the door for the Vikings. I think their season win totals gotten a little bit it's sharpened out, certainly. Um, I was fortunate enough to get eight and a half, and I think it's at nine now. With I think some places I think have big on the over. Um, but still, that's not a bad number that the, the – I guess their schedule is a bit more difficult. It's not ideal. Um, I know from like the rest angle, they weren't really given any favors uh, coming out of their bye week, and they they play some some pretty good teams. There um, some top tier teams this year, and in a in a negative, uh, I guess, rest advantage situation. But having said all that, they have the skill position players you would hope for. They have great coaching. Obviously, that home field advantage is going to be back. Um, in Minnesota this year, which is one of the best home, home field advantages you can ask for, if not the best in the NFL. Um, and they're also ripe to regress. And I've read this in Warren Sharp's book, but I know last year um, uh, they were negative in turnover margin, return touchdown margin, quarterback sack margin last year. Um, if they can have a little bit of, of regression there on that front this year too, that's another thing that's working in their favor. I think playing the Lions twice on the divisions working in their favor. You could argue the Bears as well. So I think the the stage is set for them to be a playoff team this year um, and potentially even contend if that defense can be what we would expect them to be, uh, or at least within a realm of potential outcomes to be. So I, that's, that's my team that I would say a, a bit more cautious with them because I do think they're pretty close to being accurately priced, but the upside's there uh, with a team like that. And, and if you get, you know, healthy Kirk cousins and healthy Dalvin cook's going to be another big factor, obviously too, because he's shown that he's not able to do that for uh, over the course of a full season. And their skill position players are a bit limited and concentrated. But besides that, they have a great, uh, great depth in that lineup um, and, and just a, a team that you would you'd want to get behind in terms of uh, where the market has them placed right now. I could easily see them going out there and winning 10, 11 games this year, uh, getting that playoff spot. And then who knows if the defense takes that, if they actually get to that level, that elite level, um, they could be you know, a couple lucky bounces going their way. They could be one of the top NFC contenders. Yeah, that's I love that deep of a breakdown for somebody who hasn't really done all their prep yet. That's a that's a really good look at, under the hood at Minnesota this year. And I'm going to follow up just to see if there is anything you recommend getting down on them now. You mentioned their regular season win totals that more or less a flat nine, I think, is the market consensus. And, and that's definitely been bet up from where it was earlier this offseason. Week one, they're now laying three and a half to Cincinnati. And I think there's a bit of reduced dig on that three and a half. But still, that was a lower number when it first opened. To make the playoffs you touched on, I'm seeing, uh, I, I believe you can get some plus money at some spots on the yes or, or a little bit of big on the no. So between those options, is there anything else that you're looking at with where the market stands right now? If somebody hears your breakdown on Minnesota and thinks, yeah, that the logic checks out, I like it, I want to see where I can get down where there's still value, any numbers jump out to you at this stage? I would really look at, well, I think the playoffs angle too, uh, the estimate, I think find plus money to make the playoffs. I think that might be the best best way to go. The caveat always always being that I'm, I'm not the biggest proponent of tying up money for that long, uh, especially with an edge that's, you know, you could find, you know how it goes. You could roll that money over uh, quite a few times in the amount of time it's going to take to cash a ticket like that. Uh, but with that in mind, I think probably the uh, looking at the at some of the games of the year markets, I know that they were 
I got a favorable line against them in an October, I want to say it's October 25th against the Panthers, if memory serves correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget, I think it was a field goal line there. But there's, you know, attacking them in some game of the year markets, probably a good way to go. Um, week one, three and a half, it's, I probably wouldn't touch that on the road. Um, but yeah, I would I'd probably, you know, the division route, maybe just a mix, mixing it around, probably mix a little bit of over nine um, and a little bit of yes to make the playoffs at plus money. And then, you know, maybe sprinkle a little bit on the futures as well. It's always fun. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like a well-rounded portfolio there for Minnesota. And I, I hear you when it's, you know, uh, a bit of a, an equation, not just the value of the bet, but the value you could be losing by tying up your bankroll for five months or so at this stage. But I'm going to share a team that I have some thoughts on for this coming season, probably the team that I feel most strongly about. And it's going to be a bit of a wet blanket compared to you being positive on Minnesota. I've got to say uh, it would be taking the Steelers under eight and a half. And I make it good up to minus 130. It's another number that has been hammered into place at some shops. But I'm still seeing a few books where there's plenty of value to still get in play. And I'm reminded of a conversation I had with NFL handicapper Fabian Summer, a.k.a. Suma. Uh, I think he said it best. He was on this podcast for episode 46 back in June. And I also broke down the handicap last week on the Bet US NFL show that I'm now hosting with Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen. So I'll make this recap quick because I don't want to be redundant if somebody's already heard it. But if this is your first time hearing a case against the Steelers and maybe looking to the under on their regular season win total, I think that on both sides of the ball, their roster has some big questions. Obviously, on the offense, it starts with Big Ben. He may well be a shell of his former self at this point. Um, They could have the worst offensive line in the league. Maybe you could have said that before they released David DeCastro. And then as, as much as they're strong at the skill positions, I'm not sure if those guys will be able to shine if they don't have an offensive line and a quarterback that can you know put them in position to succeed. And on the other side of the ball, defensively, I love that front seven, but they've had some pretty stealth departures from their secondary. It's basically Mika Fitzpatrick and little else at this point. And beyond the roster itself, that division is more of a force than I think it's been in a long time. The Steelers are looking up at the Ravens and Browns as bona fide Super Bowl contenders. The Bengals, there have been some concerns about Burrow's recovery from the torn ACL. And Jamar Chase seems to have had a very poor training camp in preseason. But it can't really get much worse for Cincinnati. They pretty much only have upward mobility at this point in my book. Um, ultimately I, I do think it comes down to the price and yes, this has been steamed a bit. So, you know, maybe if you're looking at minus one thirty or minus one twenty-five, consider this eight tenths of a unit versus a standard unit, but the value still out there when we're considering that at even minus one thirty, the break-even probability comes out to 56.5%. And I think a fair probability on the Steelers right now would be closer to 60%, and that would be a price point of minus one fifty. So this is a bet that still loses 40% of the time, if I'm right in how I pin down those numbers. That said, I think we have enough value to get in play. And as always, I don't need to remind you about this. Shop around for the best number. Regular season win totals don't have the same, you know, odd screens like spreads and totals. So you can find some pretty good discrepancies out there. If you can find the Steelers under eight and a half for minus one third or better, I would endorse the investment there. Yes, I, I... If it, if it means anything, we've taken a little bit of sharp money uh, and in Colorado on, on the on the under as well here. And I think it's uh, it's it. I feel like there's there's also the Tomlin angle that you get to bring, like just not really trusting Tomlin in short in close mm-hmm. game situations as well. Um, as much as great as he's been over time for them too, he's kind of shown he's one of those coaches that's unfortunately the last to embrace uh, 
the the real data and analytics that's staring him in the face seemingly at times. And uh, so I think even just getting behind that angle is uh, another thing. I, I, for me, the tiebreakers, a lot of the times it comes down to coaches. And on that front, it's an easy tiebreaker, I think. Yeah, and one angle that I've heard a good bit is that the Steelers haven't had a losing season under Tomlin. In fact, they haven't had a losing season going back to 2003. But when I looked into it, I saw that, okay, they've had four, eight, and eight seasons. I believe three of those have taken place under Tomlin. So if we were on the 17-game schedule this whole time, you could easily have one or two losing seasons. I do think the fact that they tend not to have losing seasons, even with the limitations of Tomlin, and even though at times their roster hasn't been as loaded as, you know, some of their Super Bowl runs. There's, you know, there's a lot to be said for what they've done well over time, but it's not just a bulletproof statement that, hey, they haven't had a losing season in a long time, therefore it can't happen. That's where I focus more on, well, when's the last time their roster had this many questions on both sides of the ball? When's the last time their division was this good? Those eight and eight seasons, if we had a 17-game season, maybe we do have one or two losing seasons. So it, it is a testament to the Steelers organization that for nearly two decades, they haven't had a losing campaign but I just feel like based on the information we have available to us right now, it's shaping up to be quite possibly a long season. And, and in fact, I would bet on, I have bet on a losing season for the first time in a long time in Pittsburgh. And think of all those years where the Browns were the Browns and now the Browns are a different Browns. So we've been shifting. Th things have uh, changed a little bit in that AFC North. So it's good to get on the right side of those changes, I think. Yeah, well, another area where we want to make sure to get down on the right side of things because it can be quite the mixed bag would be gambling Twitter. So I'd like to weave in a couple of quick hitters here as we start to wrap up the conversation. And I'd love it if you could speak to maybe one or two gambling Twitter follows, ideally that you have little to no relationship with, but where you find value and maybe some handles that you would say deserve more attention. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up because I, and I know you're familiar with this guy and um, but Brad Powers in college football, I think he's one of the best follows out there and he gives out free information. Um, he won't really give out, he won't give out plays as much, but um, I think Brad Power seven is his, is his handle. He used to be a pregame guy with, but I, I encountered him uh, first, you know, uh, RJ Bell's podcast and everything. And, and now uh, Brad's moved out. He's on, uh, on VSIN a lot, but he's a great follow just for, for college football information. Um, you know, so he'll give out some good information on, you know, returning starters, I guess, is a good example. If you want some quick info there, um, not not the touting type, which I, you know, there's a lot of that loud stuff on Twitter, which is well aware. Um, but he's, you know, he's the guy that's giving out actionable information and not, you know, a still. He, he maybe he'll, he'll post some like some lines, you know, that he got on circa preseason that have moved seven points that way. And but that's more for you know, I think to just to demonstrate the power of CLV more than just to toot his own horn, or more importantly, not to say, hey, bet the, you know, I, I got down at. Uh, Rutgers at, at minus seven. I'm just making this up. Now the spread's at 14. But, you know, instead of tuning his own horror, he's not telling you to go bet Rutgers at minus 14, but he's telling you about the, the power of the CLV. So I think he's he's a great follow. Um, other guys, too, and I guess, you know, to I guess our, the little world of, um, I guess, the the David Malinsky uh, guys that I that I found through David Malinsky, um, his name's Sports Heck, and I think the SH8 model is his, is his Twitter handle. I've been following him for a couple of years and he posts remarkable um, and for remarkable uh, uh, models and, and data on, on the NFL and, and, uh, and props as well. And he's got some really good um, splits too. If you want, you know, offensive defensive splits, free information out there for, um, for guys looking to, you know, just get more numbers. Even if you want, if you have your own power ratings and want to check them against someone else's who, 
who posts them out there for free. I think that he's a wonderful Twitter follow that I don't think most of the listeners here are even aware of. And I've never even met personally, but I just know him from the, the old uh, David Malinsky point blank days. And he was, I think Dave even posted his power ratings on there. So to get a guy like Dave Malinsky to post your power ratings on his point blank column, obviously going to be doing something right. So uh, I think that's, and, and I've never met him. So yeah, I know he's, he knows I'm not giving this out uh, uh, for any other reason, just to let people know, I think he's a good value follow. Yeah, I love that. And speaking of Hector, I also encountered him initially during the point blank days. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that you mentioned him because I think he does give out some really great info. And, and that's exactly what I'm looking for with that question where somebody without, you know, tens of thousands of followers already, but who's doing, you know, maybe equally, if not better work than a lot of the the bigger names out there. And I was going back and forth with him a little bit actually earlier today. And <laughs> I saw, yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a Slack channel that he's in and he mentioned being really high in my book. He was really high on the Rams and Cardinals. So I, it's easy for me to look at anybody's power ratings and, and they have to rank 32 teams and I can just pick apart one or two. So I came at it, not at all from the perspective of trying to, you know, tear down one or two slots. I, I could go through this exercise on my own. If if you want to criticize other people's power ratings, try putting them together for yourself and see how stuck you can get in, in certain lumps of teams. So I meant it in no means by that, but just thinking, hey, like this is somebody whose opinion I highly respect and he is noticeably higher on two teams than I am. So it, it's quite possible that I'm missing something. I shouldn't tell him what he's missing. I want to know what he's on to that I should take into account. And especially with Arizona, what intrigued me was, um, one of the reasons I am not that high on the Cardinals, I mean, I think they could be an above average team and still finish in last place this season. That's just a gauntlet of, of a division. And and I don't think that if they do finish in fourth place, that that means by itself that Kingsbury needs to be fired or Kyler Murray is not the guy, um, you know, they, they're, they're in their, you know, going to go through the ringer with the Rams, Anderson, Seahawks and their division. But with Arizona, I, I'm just still not sold on Kingsbury's acumen. And with Kyler Murray, I, I told Hector, I was like, hey, He's, I think he's generously listed at, what, 5'10", 207, and he hasn't missed a game yet through two seasons. To his credit, he's started all 32, but he's had some nagging injuries. I think there's been a, a lower body injury his rookie year, uh, that shoulder injury for a good chunk of games last year, and those things generally don't get better for relatively small guys who run a lot you know, and play quarterback over years and years. So I, I was just pushing back on Arizona a bit. I think he had them eighth, and that that surprised me a decent bit. And his point was that these are his power ratings for right now, not not a future. So by being relatively high on the Cardinals, he wasn't saying he wanted to bet their season wins over, win the division, or anything like that. But just hey, Kyler Murray's healthy as we look at Week One. So mm-hmm. as the season unfolds, if Murray gets hurt, obviously those power ratings can be fluid. You talked right off the top about knowing which teams you're willing to adjust quickly on, and maybe which ones like Tampa Bay. Hey, if they lose by a few touchdowns week one, aside from every teaser in the world going down in flames, <laughs> probably not the end of the world. So um, just a perspective like that, you know, maybe I have it ingrained in my head that, oh, I don't think Kyler Murray is going to stay healthy over the course of a season. I don't think Kingsbury can go toe to toe with some of the good coaches he's going to face. Well, guess what? In week one, it's Kingsbury versus Mike Brable and Kyler Murray's healthy. So just having exchanges like that, I, I had to share that anecdote because when you mentioned Hector, I cannot strongly endorse that enough. It's yeah, yeah. at SH8model on Twitter. Yes, and we need he needs to get more followers for sure. And I wonder if he has that secondary uh, <laughs> properly rated. I don't know. That'd be my first thought because that's they're gonna, that's going to be god awful this year. But maybe you know it's they, they make a change there or if something unexpected happens. Then all of a sudden you're looking at a, a team that has the firepower to 
to compete in that division. So you have to be quick to react. And yeah, I, I can't think of a better guy than, than, uh, than Hector to, uh, to follow that most of you probably are not aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Great call there by you. Well, I'd also like to extend this beyond gambling Twitter and into the realm of sports betting podcasts. So same thing there. Are there any diamonds in the rough that you've come across that have really added value as part of your media content diet? Besides this one, uh, <laughs> the, the arrow pointing. Thank you. I did not pay Mike to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So on, on my end, because I, I'm an attorney, I'm, you know, chief compliance and legal officer at playoffs. So I have to have my finger on the pulse of, of the law, sports and the law, the intersection there. And I think this year, without a doubt, is the most fascinating year in the history of sports law in general. Um, just if you could just go to a couple of websites and some of the stuff's even uh, permeated, you know, to the national landscape. Um, obviously, college NIL being the the number one thing that's happened this year, and and uh, it's led to guys like J.R. Smith re-enrolling in college and stuff like that. But um, you know, the Conduct Detrimental podcast. It's it's ran by Dan Wallach, who is a former professor of mine slash mentor of mine in the space, and who I view as one of the foremost gaming law experts in the entire world. Um, he does that podcast along with Dan Lust. He's another attorney um, who's uh, based on the East Coast, I believe. They run that. And then they have a couple other recurring guests there, too. I think they, they take uh, law students on. So they're really involved. They, they have their fingers on everything that's happening um, in the world of sports and law. So for me, that's where I'm I, I've, I can't get enough of that podcast. I started listening to it religiously uh, earlier this year and even really dating back to last year. But I think for anybody that's interested in not just the sports betting realm of things, and they do dis- discuss that stuff, of course, but just to keep keep your your finger on the pulse of these amazing changes happening in, in sports law, that's where I would go, uh, conduct detrimental. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up on the sports betting side of things, um, the Chicken Dinner podcast. I think a lot of people do know about this one. Uh, my friend Sam Panianovich, fellow Chicago guy, now he's with Nesson in, in Boston. Um, he's done amazing things with that podcast. I've been fortunate enough to be a guest on there in the past, but he does that uh, at least weekly or a couple times a week, uh, but just brings in top industry people you want to hear from, does give out some plays on there, and usually those plays are grounded in some sort of, of good, actionable uh, information. Maybe maybe he'll, an odds maker will give a good angle or something, but it's always, you know, they're not hot takes. Usually they're they're grounded in, in something that, that uh, Sam discusses in the episode or something. So uh, a lot to be had from him there. And he's, he does a really professional job at that one. So chicken dinner as well. Nice. Yeah, you're speaking my language with those recommendations. And one more area we can get to as we wrap this up, where I know we're speaking the same language, would be weaving in the other pillar of this podcast, the hops. We started talking some beers. We enjoyed some great beers in New York City and New Jersey last week. I think, again, a highlight was going to Mixor, at least just what an institution. So I have you to thank for that part of the adventure. But let's say beyond Bet Bash and beyond that bottle of Spotted Cow that I am still extremely jealous of, what have you been enjoying lately on the hoppier side of things? So I was going to say Spotted Cow because I've been, I stocked up in Wisconsin a couple of weeks ago. That's where, that's what I've been drinking almost exclusively. Um, I guess here in Chicago, because I, I moved back here to the city in uh, late April after kind of just scooting around the country during uh, really from November onwards, uh, living in Airbnbs, even fortunate enough to meet you in person in LA back in December. Um, so I've, I've been able to try beers around the country, but coming back to Chicago to my, my roots was really exciting for me. Um, I'm trying to think if I haven't brought some of these up. 
because uh, I know that I, I brought up on your show recently, Le, Le Juice is one of my favorites mm-hmm. um, that I drink here now. And being back in Chicago, just really anything Revolut from Revolution Brewery. So um, I've been drinking a lot more um, anti-heroes, uh, some of the, the best IPAs we can get out here. I think they even had them at Bet Bash on tap, or maybe they ran out. I know they had some stuff from, uh, maybe it wasn't Revolution. They had one of the Chicago, do you remember which, was it Goose Island they had on tap? There? I think they had Goose Island, yeah. Goose Island. Yeah, if you're out here in Chicago, Goose Island too, or, or Revolution, those are my locals. I'm drinking those you know, every weekend. I'm sipping on on those, especially in the summertime. So um, yeah, kind of more just a smorgasbord there, but uh, I think Spotted Cow is the theme of the episode. And, and on that one, I even had some notes prepared because I know it's it's a new Galeris Brewing Company just southwest of Madison, Wisconsin. So you can get up there in two and a half hours from Chicago. Or if you're in Milwaukee, you can even get there uh, more quickly. But it's a, a Pilsner malt, white wheat, caramel malt. Um, and the, the way to play this, though, is when you pick up spotted cows or if you get them delivered to you, before game starts, about 20 minutes before kickoff on Sunday, pop a couple in the freezer from the fridge. Make sure you remember they're there. Pick them up 20, 25 minutes later, and I can tell you there's nothing more satisfying than that first sip of Spotted Cow, especially when you open up the, the bottle and you get that, that air coming out, and then that first sip, once it hits your lips, there's nothing better than an almost frozen Spotted Cow, and I promise you that. All right. Well, it sounds like you're in mid-season form, uh, both <laughs> despite the amount of prep you've done, both from that Vikings breakdown of the NFL betting talk as well as the beer drinking side of things. I mean, you have, you have really brought the A game here. And I want to thank you for that, Mike. I want to make sure we plug your work as we get on out of here on Twitter at Michael Roselli. Also follow at Doggy Juice. And on that note, the Doggy Juice podcast is going to be making its triumphant return. I also know PlayUp is in the process of coming online in as many states as possible across the country. Um, Mike, does that cover everything? Is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, no, that pretty much covers it. I will be, I've had a three-plus-month hiatus on the doggy juice pod, but I'm coming up on an anniversary there. I, I started that podcast three years ago from uh, from this Friday, Friday, September 3rd. So I'm eyeballing doing a, a return episode and then getting in the swing of things uh, with that podcast during the season. But uh, like I noted earlier, I'm not usually I'm putting in you know 30 to 50 hours a week on, on, on creating my own numbers and adjusting on a weekly basis for college football, NFL, and college basketball. Right now, due to playoff responsibilities, I don't have pretty much zero time for that right now. So I'm going to be looking to kind of shift the content a little bit more, uh, maybe even borrowing a, a page from this podcast book, but bringing on more industry people, people I've encountered on, on the play upside, you know, some people on our, on our trading team with our platform provider, people from different walks of life in the industry, just to bring more unique perspectives. And of course, keeping um, the, the whole think like, like a, or teach a man to fish type of angle uh, going as well, where guys learn how to, Put actionable info into play instead of just the hot takes and you know as you're aware the stuff that goes stale within a couple of days of posting and i'm trying to stay away from that so stay tuned looking forward to, to bringing that back and looking forward to having you back on as a guest on that pod too matt i think uh you'll be, be one of the first guys that i want to bring on and get your insight there too awesome well i'll be happy to do it and uh for all the other guests or even if there are any solo episodes i am so looking forward to having that back in my rotation once again so eagerly awaiting the return of the doggy juice pod in the meantime mike i want to thank you once again for your time to come and do this i'm already looking forward to bet dash two in vegas in april if we don't see each other again before then me too thanks again for having me on and uh man i feel like mj right now hoisting up that trophy the first three peak guest of props and hops uh feel like yeah jordan robin and pippen celebrating at uh at, at the park here at, at uh, in chicago and putting the banner up first three peak guests so it's an honor i appreciate you bringing me on and and uh looking forward to to seeing where props and hops goes and where you're going too i mean you're 
you're a budding star in the space now too, Matt. And it's a pleasure uh, uh, getting to know you more and, and being part of the props and hops uh, process myself. Goodbye. All right. Thanks again to Mike. And if you enjoyed our conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A close second would be to check out the new BetUS NFL show I'm hosting with NFL handicappers Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen. We've got the AFC South preview coming your way today with the NFC South preview coming up on Friday, and you can find the show via the YouTube and podcast links in these show notes. And as a programming note, we're just nine days away from the NFL season opener in Tampa Bay, so this episode puts a bow on the offseason. It's been a blast bringing on some dream guests. Their willingness to be so generous with their time and insight has blown any expectations out of the water, and I do plan to have some guests on during the regular season, but I will be primarily shifting gears to a focus on breaking down the best bets on each week's NFL slate. The episode timing's a bit up in the air right now. I'm looking at Thursdays or Fridays starting next week, and the plan is to get the episodes out as early as possible without compromising the quality of information. If you have any thoughts or suggestions on what you'd like to get from Props and Hops this season, I'm all ears. Connect with me on Twitter, at mlandis18. You can also follow me there for announcements on every new episode once it goes live. And if you'd be interested in a real-time conversation with me and the Dimers.com community of more than 1,100 fellow bettors and counting, join us for free on Discord. You can also find that link in the show notes. And that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening to this and every other episode you've caught over the course of our show's first year. Have a safe and happy Labor Day weekend, and enjoy week one in college football. I'll talk to you next Thursday or Friday with a deep dive on week one in the NFL, And until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. 